We're doing a sermon series to the Gospel of Mark. I love the Gospel of Mark. I love how how to the point it is, how action-packed it really is. I've, I've always liked the action-packed book or movie. Um, today's title of today's message, if you're taking notes, is Following Jesus Wherever He Leads. And uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 1 today. And every week when I when I get home on Monday, I tend to open up my Bible to book of Mark or wherever I'm preaching at that week. And I say, God, what are you speaking for this week? Because I can't, I'm not going to read every little story in the book of Mark, even though it's 16 chapters and fairly short. But, um, what, where are you leading at us this time? Uh, for it's, God is, it's interesting how much God, when, when I pray that God would speak to me and speak through me, that the things that we talk about, that it's very, very timely. It's, it's God is, He, He always confirms it multiple times. And, uh, so, God is writing a story in your life. The story in your life is not done. If you have breath in you, how many of us have breath in our lungs? Right? I hope you're saying yes. If you do, God is not done writing your story. And even though the scripture, we believe as a church that the scripture is, the canon of scripture is closed. Okay? We don't add to this book. We don't subtract from this book. It is that. But the story of God's kingdom the, God, the story of the, what God's doing on earth, it continues to this day. And maybe you're not a reader, but maybe you love movies. The, uh, you know, any book, any novel, any epic, any movie, it always takes place in some kind of kingdom. Okay, I want you to think about, I'm not a huge Lord of the Rings fan. I know that's controversial in the church too, right? Because they're like, that's, that's, that means this. But, you know, it takes place in a kingdom. And in a lot of stories, stories that I've read, this, the, the, the people that live there, they're, they're actually part of the kingdom. There's people that live in that kingdom. There's a king who rules over the people. Sometimes the stories you read that it's an evil king. But then other times there's a king that will take place, that actually lives on his throne and he rules and reigns in love. He rules and reigns in that. But actually in every story, there's always an enemy. The enemy will creep into the kingdom. He sneaks in. Maybe not so obvious. Sometimes the enemy just goes, here I am, right? But sometimes the enemy sneaks in the back door of the kingdom, like little side door. If it's a castle and there's a little tiny little door right there and he sneaks in and he pretends to be one of them. But the the, the enemy will try to cause chaos in the kingdom. The enemy will lie to people saying, the king is not good. The king is a liar. The king is not a, a good king. He doesn't care about you. He doesn't love you. And in these stories of these epics, the people often rebel against the king. Right? I mean, I've seen stories. I watch movies. I've read novels of stories where the people rebel against the king because they heard a lie. Now, the reality is, when you read the scripture and you live your life, it is an epic. It is a story. It, there is a kingdom of God that exists today. But I want you to understand something. You need to understand how the kingdom of God works, and you need to understand how the story of God works. Because when Jesus said, it is finished on the cross, he was establishing, I would even say reestablishing the kingdom of God on this earth as it is in heaven. Okay, But... When he stepped on the devil and he went, like squash him like a bug. You know, sometimes when you step on a bug and you don't want to step on a bug, but they're still kind of moving a little bit. These little ants that we get 
I don't usually they show up in our house and around uh, around like different places in the springtime, but for some reason they love our uh, you know like look around. You try to kill them and they're still walking around. They get resurrected. It's like, are you a zombie ant? What's going on? But you know when 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 Jesus died on the cross, he won. But it's like the devil's like sitting there and he's, 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 he's injured. He's all like walking like this, but he will take, he'll take down on his way to the second death, which is the lake of fire. He's taken as many people in any relationship and marriages and joy and peace. He will steal all that. He'll knock it over. It's like when, if if I were to, you know, if I were to go to like Walmart in the middle of night, nobody's there. And maybe I wasn't a Christian. Let's say I'm not a Christian. And I want to do something just for the heck of it. And I go in there and I make a mess of everything really quick, right? Wouldn't that be kind of fun, you know, knowing you're not going to be in trouble? No, it would not be fun. But, you know, if I was a little kid, you know, you knock over all the cool stuff. And that's what the devil's really doing. He's knocking everything off the shelves. Everything is nice and neat in the kingdom of God. Everything has its order. And he's causing chaos. He's causing disorder. And so this is important to understand your role in the kingdom of God. What role do you play? You're not the main character in the kingdom of God, but you play a role, okay? The main character in the kingdom of God is God, okay? And we are, just like any epic, we are his people. We are his people, and he pours out. He pour, He's a king that is not a king that is mad at you. I've heard this many times, but even this week. He's mad about you. He loves you. He's, he's so mad about you that he sent his son Jesus to die for us. And so we're continuing our series through Mark. And last week, we introduced the book. It was really almost like a Bible study about who Mark is. He's a very unique character, if you want my opinion. He, he sees Jesus being arrested, and he's wearing a shirt, and they rip him of his shirt, and he runs around naked. Why can't I not get rid of that in my mind? I have no idea. It's a funny, it's one of the funniest little two verses in the Bible. I mean, it is, it's like, oh, okay. I just can't, you know, I'm not going to, sh- I don't go to the street corner and preach that, but it's a little funny little hidden gem uh, in, in the book of Mark. But um, in the story of Mark chapter one, we are introduced to a guy named John the Baptist. And it's so important to understand. I said this last week, I'm going to say it again, that when I look at each one of us, and maybe you're watching online, you it, maybe you're not a prophet, if you will, like John the Baptist was a prophet. He, he spoke the word of God to people. People, he got, but he, what his main role was, was to prepare the way for Jesus. He was making the path straight for when Jesus shows up, because that's what he was doing. He's baptizing people, getting them ready for a move of God. And why do I say we're a bunch of like John the Baptist? We need to be people who are constantly being ready for a move of God that we will not miss it. Okay. We're preparing ourselves. But we're preparing the church. We're preparing each other and saying, God's going to do something. He's doing something. Are you ready? Are you prepared for it? Because if we're not, there's going to be a huge train of God's presence coming, and we're just going to be on that side going. You know, it's like when I was a kid, I'd wave at the conductor, you know, and the train conductor waves back. I don't want to be that person that is waving at the conductor because I always thought that was cool. And then I put a penny on the thing and then they'd run over the penny, but that's, you can't, it's not supposed to do that, but like wave it. I don't want to wave at God and go, hi, and be on the outside. I want to jump on that train, if you will, that God's taken us somewhere and it's today. We need to prepare ourselves. Okay. And so after John, John the Baptist is introduced, 
Jesus shows up. And what does John do? The story is really quick in, in Mark. In, in Matthew, Luke, and John, it's very detailed. There's a lot of detail going on. But in Mark, it's like boom, 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 boom. And basically what he does is he looks at Jesus and he baptizes Jesus. Jesus comes out of the water. The spirit comes down and said, and, and they hear the voice of the father saying, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. Right after that, Jesus was taken by the spirit, led him into the desert, into the wilderness. And what did he do? He was tempted for 40 days. Sometimes God allows us to go through temptation. Sometimes God allows us to go through trials because he knows it's going to build us. If, if life's too easy, trust me, if life is too easy, I'm probably not going to need God. But when I'm going through struggles, there are times that I go, God, why am I going through this? I don't like this. But there are other times where I'm going through a struggle and it helps me lean upon God more because I know, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Then right after he's tempted by Satan for 40 days, this story happens right after that. Let's look at Mark chapter 1. I love this. Verse 14 through 20. And it jumps right into it. After John was arrested, like all of a sudden John the Baptist is arrested. Okay? And then ultimately he's killed. He's beheaded. They serve his head on a platter. Remember that? But he's arrested. After that, Jesus, it's his turn. Jesus went to Galilee. He proclaimed the good news of God. Everybody say good news. Okay, this is the second time in the chapter that Mark mentions the word gospel or good news. Or even, I would even say great news. The best news. He mentions it twice on purpose because he wants you to know that it is wonderful news, the thing that Jesus is doing right now. And Jesus shows up, his very first ministry opportunity after baptism, after going into the wilderness, being tempted, and, and succeeding with the Holy Spirit's help. He eats after that. The Holy Spirit tends to him. And then the first thing he does, he stands there in Galilee, and he proclaims the good news of God. Here's his sermon. Like, why can't, and I'm, I'm a preacher, so I can't help but be long. Okay, but why can't our sermons be one-line sermons and be done, right? And Jesus loves you. Amen. I mean, right? No, but he says, he says this, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. What's he talking about? He's talking about himself. Here's what he says for you to do. Application, repent. Everybody say repent and believe. Repent and believe the good news. I love how simple that sermon is. As he passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon. Okay, who's Simon? Peter, okay? It's Peter, the guy who we know as Peter. But he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Oh, thanks, Mark. We don't, he doesn't want us to miss anything, okay? Follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you fish for people. Now, there's a word that's introduced here that's going to be mentioned a lot in this book. Immediately. Everybody say immediately. Okay? If, if a word is repeated in a specific scripture over and over and over, lean in. Because that's what his, his purpose is. That's what Mark is getting you at. He's saying immediately they left their nets and they followed him. See you guys. I'm out of here immediately. Then, so you got two brothers. And they're hanging out with Jesus. And, and after that, going on a little farther. Okay, they're going along the Sea of Galilee. And then he see. Jesus, he, Jesus saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat. This is John the Beloved, the author of the book of John. 
John, the revelator, if you will. He is, he is John, the best friend of Jesus. But this is when he's introduced to Jesus. They have James, his brother John. They're putting their nets in order. And I'll just add it for this because they were fishermen. Okay? Immediately. Ready to say immediately. Now, this is talking about Jesus now. Okay? He's definitely connected to this too. Immediately, Jesus called them. Like, hey, follow me. And I'll make you fish for people or fishers of men. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat. That's how you know it was immediately for them. They didn't say, Dad, when I get home, after we're done with all this stuff, and once we're in dinner, I'm going to, Dad, I have to leave the business. I know you're leaving it to me when you pass on, but I'm, I'm following that guy over here. No, no, no. The, the, the hired man and the father was left in the boat and followed him. Now, let me speak for a second as not a pastor and a Christian, as just a human being reading this. That's very, that's very, um, in my opinion, horrible. You say good, you have a business that you're help, helping with. You abandon your father and his hired servants. And for all we know, they were married. We, we know, we know Peter was married. Okay. So he's leaving his family. Like how many of us, i it's weird to think about this, but honey, God's calling me to go over this way. I've got to be gone. Like this is, I, I don't want to, I don't want to get lost in the details here, but the big idea here to me, has a capital O, obedience. No matter what, I mean, whether they left their families, whether they left their father, their jobs, their careers, their finances, their, their, their children. I mean, I get lost in the details and go, are you telling me that Peter left his wife? Cause he had a mother-in-law later. So you can't have a mother-in-law if, you know what I'm saying? So, but I want us to get the, the, the main idea here. And here it is. The main idea for today, obedience. Obedience. Discipleship, because that's what Jesus is doing here. He's calling these people to become disciples. Not only followers of Jesus, but a disciple is a learner. They they study who Jesus really is, and they live like if they were Jesus. They speak like Jesus. They react like Jesus. They're learners. They're students. And I look at this thing as a, as a non I'm a Christian, but let's pretend I'm not a Christian. I go, this is very inappropriate. But when you caught the kingdom of God involved, everything's turned, it seems upside down. It's right side up, but according to the worldly standard, it's upside down. It's backwards. Everything's reversed. But I, I love this because, um, because there's a few things I want to focus on today that really matter a lot to me. The first thing is this, that when Jesus came to this world, he came to reestablish, and I, was, I won't even say, I was going to say, I wrote down establish on my notes. He came to establish the kingdom of God, but he came to reestablish the kingdom of God on this earth as it is in heaven. When God created the heavens and the earth, where was where did God reside at in Genesis 1? Where was he? He was walking the garden with Adam and Eve. You didn't have to, like, He's out there somewhere, okay? He resided in the Garden of Eden. He walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. We have never had that kind of relationship. I don't want to minimize the relationship we have with the Holy Spirit right now. It's huge. 
and this might seem kind of funny, but I've never been like Adam or Eve where I'm holding the hand of God in down a garden. Because that would be, that someday, someday, but we have not done that. We have to trust that God is who he says he is. In fact, he's here right now. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now, not me. The Spirit's going to poke you and prod you and lead you and pull you. And he's going to lead you. And we have to follow Jesus wherever he leads. Jesus, the Lord's Prayer, he said, he said, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And for too long, the people of God in the Old Testament, they were separated from God. We, we were, as a family, we were reading, uh, Genesis and Exodus and, 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 um, when you read Genesis and Exodus, there's a lot that goes on in Genesis and Exodus that is like, huh, that's interesting. You ever notice that? Like, why is that there? What does that mean? But I can sum up the entire Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi in three simple words. Separation from God. Okay, you, you want you want to know why we have the Old Testament? There's a lot of reasons why, but the main reason is look at what Jesus accomplished while He was here on Earth and what He continues to accomplish today. We used to be separated from God. He made a way where there was no way. You couldn't sacrifice enough animals. You couldn't tithe enough. You couldn't be holy enough. You couldn't be righteous enough. You needed some Savior to take the place for you, and that's exactly what He did. But in the Old Testament, it is story after story after story of separation from God. So what Jesus does, he goes to this earth and he reestablishes the kingdom of God on this earth as it is in heaven. And guess what? You play a, I'm not going to say the lead role, but if, if the kingdom of God had a poster, a movie poster, God's name would be all over it. But you know what? Right in the bottom little corner, your name would be on it because you play a part. You play a role. Each one of us plays a role in the kingdom of God. Jesus himself needed people with him. He needed at least four brothers. We'll, we'll, we're not going to introduce the other disciples today because he didn't do that yet. He, he introduced himself to four guys, two sets of brothers, and he said I, even, even Jesus needed someone to go with him, and he showed people. And he was about the people. He was about the people. And so I want to say something. I thought about a picture in my mind. is a, a picture of a lake. What Jesus did, he threw a huge rock in the center of a lake, and there was a ripple effect. Okay? Now, I like, I like doing that. I still like throwing rocks and skipping rocks. Right? I'm not, how many of us can skip rocks really good? Like 50, 50 jumps. And it goes around the world, and it's still going. Not me. I'm like, one, two, bloom. Right? But I want you to imagine that, or, or one, blue. Jesus, is what he did when he was here on earth is he started something that continues to this day. He threw a huge boulder in the middle of a lake and he went, bloop, and the ripple effect from that, bloom. And every generation is, is one of those ripples. We find ourselves in one of those ripples and at the very end, it's when Jesus comes back. Okay. But we are in the middle of one of those ripples. And guess what? Somebody before us, a generation before us, poured their lives into us. Someone poured into them. Someone poured into them. Someone poured into them. Then it was the 12 disciples. And then it was Jesus. Fast forward and we get to where we're at. And we go, eh, I'm not part of the kingdom of God. I don't really need to do anything. 
Well, then we're messing up a generation after generation of generation of generation of people who have poured out into the next generation of people who do not know Christ. We are called to make disciples. We're called to pour out and make a difference. And Jesus started it. It is the kingdom of God here on this earth. And so it's still going on to this day. So I want to focus on that that point, is that Jesus came to establish the kingdom of God here on earth. Now, I want you to notice something. Because I had a question a long time ago for God. And I only have one answer that I, I, I think it's true. But Jesus said, it is finished. He dies on the cross. He's buried. He's, he's in victory. He kicks the grave door open and he says, here I am. He ascends to the Father and he sends the Holy Spirit. And you would expect that the credits to roll right there, right? The movie's over. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't that be a perfect ending? But guess what? The movie's not over yet. We still live in a sinful world. What, what's going on? It's like when the movie has credits and you have that end scene at the very end after the credits. Like you need to stay for the credits. That's where we're living at right now. How come Jesus said it's finished and we still struggle? Why do we still have wars? Why hasn't he shown up? Why hasn't he come back the second time? Why do we still struggle? Why are we still tempted? Those are questions I've been asking for 20 some odd years. And the only answer I can do, the, the only answer that makes sense for this pea brain of a brain I have, like just, I, I use about 10% of my brain like everybody else, is that we live in a kingdom set against war against another kingdom. And that other kingdom knows it's going down. It's in flames right now. The kingdom of darkness has fire, no pun intended when it comes to hell and stuff like that. It's on fire. Everything's burning down. But then there's a guy that comes out. I'll call him Satan, Beelzebub, whatever you want to call him. And he comes out and he's on fire. He's dying. He's going, but he's going to make a mess in your life. He's going to make a mess in your life. He's knocking over things. Because he knows that he's finished and he's so mad and jealous of God. He's jealous of you. He's jealous of what he could have had, what he did have. What he, what happened to him is he fell from heaven. That's another, for another day, we can focus on the fact that Satan fell. That's a deep one that really gives me a headache right now to think about that. Um, but I want you to think about the Old Testament story from Genesis to Malachi as a movie. Now, You've gone to a movie theater, I assume, right? You go to the movie theater, you grab your... How many of us are popcorn people? How many of us are candy people? How many of us are both? And a big thing of soda, like one of those big things, like not big enough. You can get refills, but you don't want to have to leave the movie. But um, you sit down, you're waiting for the movie. Maybe you read the book and you're like, I want that movie, right? I want to watch that movie right now, Right? And you're like, okay, it's, are you guys ready? The lights haven't even dimmed yet. Kind of, but not as much. You watch credit, you watch previews. How many of us like previews? A couple of them I do. Depends on if I, I go, ooh, that sounds good. But oftentimes I'm like, get to the movie. Get to the main picture. Get to the main feature. Get to the point. I came here to watch Spider-Man or whatever. I'm, I came here to watch that. I am not here to look at those credits or those uh, previews, even though some of them are good. I'm not here to, you know, look at that picture that says, silence your cell phone. I already did, right? But I want you to think about the Old Testament story like a movie theater. 
Every story that takes place is pointing to something. It's just not quite the main feature. It's not the purpose. It's not the point. It is pointing to something that's coming later on. And each generation in the Old Testament said, is this the time when the kingdom of God is going to be reestablished? Because it was always just a preview. I want you to think about that. We see that in the movie theater, right? The following preview has been approved for all audiences by the Motion Picture Association of America Incorporated. Oh, okay, thank you very much for letting me know, right? And for I want you to think about that. In the Old Testament, this is what they saw. They saw previews of things to come. So when you read the Old Testament, there's a lot of question marks go, I don't know about that. But it is a preview of things to come. They always ask about that. I want you to think about Genesis chapter 1. God created earth perfect. He created the creation and animals perfect. The stars were perfect. There was no stars that burned out. There were no stars. There were no meteors that were falling to the earth. There was nothing like that. It was perfect. Adam and Eve were perfect. And for all intents and purposes, the kingdom of God was established with Adam and Eve. Everything I read about it, I really believe that that was God's intention from the beginning was to establish his kingdom right there with them, right then, right there, right now. That was it. But a few things happen. The very first scene in the movie, if you will, if it's a movie, they chose disobedience. Remember what I said earlier about what discipleship really is? What did I say? Capital O, obedience. 100%, what is God looking for? He's looking for obedience. And when Adam and Eve, they chose disobedience, and Adam blamed the woman, Eve blamed the serpent, the serpent's just dumb, right? Um, and, and, and they were, they, what? They were separated from God. They were kicked out of the kingdom of God, if you will. Just like Satan and his, and what we'll call demons, but they're fallen angels, sometime before, between creation and Adam and Eve, they fell. Something happened in heaven, okay? You can read Isaiah, and there's a story about that. There talks about Satan falling and that kind of thing. But, um, so as a result of that, of, of Satan falling from heaven like a, like a shooting star. There was, there was established two kingdoms. The kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of good, the kingdom of evil. That's why every good story, every good epic has good and evil. That's why it always has some king and some enemy coming in and attacking. Where'd that come from? It come from reality. Okay, that is no, it's no wonder we struggle. It's no wonder why we're tempted. It's no wonder, because Jesus was tempted in the desert for 40 days. What makes you think that you're not going to? So, what happens, Genesis chapter 6, because for thousands of years, people have been asking, should the kingdom of God, is it going to show up in my generation? Is it today? Is it now? Is he here? Is God here? There was separation for thousands of years. Genesis chapter 6, God floods the earth. It's just Noah and his family that survive. And if you look at Genesis chapter 6 and you read the flood account, it is like a new beginning. Earth 2.0. Now, the earth 2.0 isn't better than what it was before. Earth 2.0 is horrible compared to earth 1.0. It's the updated version of earth is horrible compared to what it was. And, um, but... They believed, hey, is this a time where now all the evil's just taken care of? Everything's dead, except for my holy family, Noah and my kids and their wives. 
But you know what? People were still evil. In fact, right after that, they actually built a tower of Babel. Now, that's a good story, but it's weird. But to, to sum up that story in a nutshell, it is this, that they were trying to build a name for themselves and not make a name for God. That's called pride. And so God, what he did, he's, he, he, again, separated the people. He confused their languages. He set them apart. These people went over that way. This people, and from that moment till like now, like everybody just is, what is confusion is what it was. So it was not the main feature. It wasn't the point. It was just another preview. Genesis 12, God calls Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. And I can guarantee you, this is it. Right now, he's going to make a kingdom. He's going to, uh, he's going to make my name great, Abraham. Is this it? Nope. His couple generations later, they were put into slavery in Egypt for 400 years, 400 plus years. That is definitely not the main point. That was just another preview. Exodus. I love Exodus, but God chooses Moses to lead the people out of slavery. And then God says, I'm choosing you to take them to the promised land. And now like, yes, the promised land, Israel, let's go. The land flowing with milk and honey. Who would not want to go to a a, a land like that? Which means it's very much abundant, very much blessed. Okay. But when they get there, like there's years and years and years of wandering and being lost. There were so many horrible things that happened that people fell back to sin. So it's just another preview. Time goes on in the Old Testament and people think they need a king. I need someone to lead me. That country over there, those people, they have a king and look at them. We need a king. But you know what's interesting about the Old How many of us have ever read First Kings and Second Kings? Very fascinating two books of the Bible. Fascinating. You have a study of people who are horrific. And you have people who are great. King Josiah, I just love the guy. Okay? But the next generation, what were they? Evil. Interesting. You can do all you can do for God. You still have a devil that's hurting the next generation. So the kings don't always serve God. Many times the kings are very evil, evil, wicked, horrible. And then during that time, the people of God were taken into captivity. They destroyed Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple, all of that. And then in Ezra, Daniel, and Nehemiah, I preached through all that. I love that story. They're allowed back into Israel where they rebuild the temple, the walls, and Jerusalem. They rebuild all of that. And they go, now it's the time. Now it's time, but hundreds of years go by. We call it the period of silence, 400 years. It's like between Malachi and between the New Testament. That one page or two pages or whatever of, of some little help that you have there, 400 years went by of nothing. Like that's a long time for God not to speak. You're going to church. You're doing the right thing, quote, doing the right thing. Nothing. 400 years of the church, or the, the, the Jewish people, nothing. Then one day Jesus shows up and he says, the time is now. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is here. It has come near. So how do you respond to that? Well, according to the disciples, the first four people, how'd they respond? Obedience. 
And I'm going to even make it deeper than that. Immediate obedience. Someone told me a long time ago, they, how, how much obedience is half-hearted obedience? It doesn't exist. Half-hearted obedience is disobedience. Like, I want to be, I want to honor my wife in my life, but I'm going to mess around just 10% of the time. But I'm really, 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 really committed to her. 100%, 99%, 99%. But one, just 1%, I just want to mess around. That's it. But I still love her. That's not good. <laughs> that is not what I signed up for. That's not what I promised when we were up on this very stage. I said that I was going to be about her and for her the rest of my life till death do we part. And that's what obedience is 100% all in. It's obedience. And so discipleship can be, well, I'm going to read this one more. Let's read this one more time because this, this is important. As he passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. Let me pause. I want you to put yourself in that story. You're not a, maybe you're a fisherman. If I need fish, I just go to someone's house and they serve it. It's easy that way, right? I am not good luck when it comes to fishing this river. So don't take me. I just, I haven't caught one fish since I moved here 20 years ago. And he says to you, follow me. Wherever I lead you, go. That's what he's saying. And he says, and I will make you fish for people. In other words, the next generation needs to be about, it's, it's our agenda. It's who we're about. And they says what? Immediately, they left their nets and they followed him. Now, that's your, I'm not going to read that part. That is, that is your, that is your call. Fish for people. But what's your response? You're like, I can't say immediately. I've been, I've been trying to follow Christ for 30 years. Immediately is, it's better late than never. So let's start over. Let's say day one. So what are we going to do? Immediately. We need to follow God. Why? Because discipleship equals obedience. I don't want you to forget that. Discipleship isn't about going to church and knowing the Bible 100%. Those, knowing the Bible is great. Bible study is awesome. Okay? It is awesome. Everything about it is awesome. But what is discipleship really? It's obedience. It's following after God. Wherever he leads, I'm going. But I don't like the path that he's bringing me. This is not what, no, no, no. He paid a high price for you. He paid a high price. Who is on the movie poster? Whose name is on the movie poster? God. That's who's on the movie poster. That's what it's about. That's the main feature. When Jesus said, the kingdom of God has come near, who's he talking about? Him. Him. The kingdom of God is here. And when we look at Jesus throwing that huge boulder in the lake, plop, and there's a ripple effect, and you find yourself somewhere, you've got to continue that ripple effect until Jesus comes back or until you die. The day you die, you're still doing what Jesus called you to do. I saw a video yesterday. Um, there's a movie out, Jesus Revolution, and uh, the guy who's Kelsey Grammer's character, true story, Chuck Smith, who started that church movement, um, he died in, I think, 2014, but 
what caught my eye was it was his very last sermon before he died, like really quick after that. And he, I mean, he walked up there very weak. He had like oxygen, you know, and he preached his heart out as much as he could. And I want that to be me. Not dying, but you know what I mean? Like on my dying breath, I can't even hardly walk up to the stage. I've got a tank of oxygen that I'm wheeling with me. And he's preaching the gospel. I mean, the people stand up for him and they, they clap, but he tells them to sit down. Very humble. But that's not just for preachers, it's for all of us. I want that to be my dying thing. Is that I'm part of that movement that Jesus started 2,000 years ago when he reestablished the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Now the devil is fighting so there is a battle going on. That's why we struggle. So what does obedience really mean? It means we need to sacrifice our own agenda for God's agenda. Jesus paid a high price. The least that we, I could do is to sacrifice my agenda and what I'm about and be about God and be about his agenda. What does he want my life to look like? Not what does Joel want my life to look like. Not what is my family, what our family's life to look like. No, what does Jesus want our family's life to look like? What does Jesus want this church to look like? All of that, we've got to ask that question. Obedience. So as we close this, I'm going to ask you a question. Who's your one? Who's your one? One rock that you throw into the lake is going to cause some ripple effect. You impact one person, and in reality, God could impact a lot of people outside of that. That's not really, it's not in your control. But because you impacted one person, who's your one? I want you to think about that over the next 24 hours and maybe write their name down somewhere and keep it in your journal or something. Who is your one person that you're impacting? Jesus even needed, even Jesus needed people. Who's your one Who's your one person that you can pray with? You can read the scripture together with them. You can bring them to church. You can sit with them, make them feel comfortable, make them feel welcome. Who is it? And here's my prayer. We're going to pray and be done. I want you guys to really, this is my prayer for all of us, for myself included. I'm going to follow Jesus wherever he leads. Because that's what Mark 1 is about. When Jesus calls his disciples, I am 100% challenged all the time when I read it that they immediately followed him. They didn't make excuses like I would. Well, but, 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 but I work for Pepsi. But, 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 but I have bills to pay. But, 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 but I have a family. But, 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 but what am I going to, what's my dad going to say? But, 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 but I have a business to run. I'm so challenged by this. Because it's so un, look, I'm pro-American, but it's so un-American seeming. Because there's nothing wrong with business. There's nothing wrong with making some money. There's nothing wrong with that. But they knew that everything around them could be a distraction. Everything around them could be a reason why they wouldn't follow Jesus. Every single thing that we have around us could be an idol. And they said, I refuse. Look at the look at the results. The results speak for themselves. Jesus is in heaven. He sent his Holy Spirit. The disciples are no longer alive. 
So who's left? Us. Us online, us in this room. We are alive still. So guess what? It's your turn. It's my turn. We are part of the generation until the dying breath to continue that ripple effect. Because you will see that churches around the nation numerically are dying. But it's starting to do, it's starting to go back out. The movement of God is here. We need to jump on board. Let's pray. Father, Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you've called us to do mighty things. You've called us to do wonderful things. I ask, Lord God, that you would even challenge us even more, God. Sometimes we have been obedient, but maybe we've held back in the little areas, and that's partial obedience. As hard as I hate, I hate to say this, but I know it. Partial obedience is no obedience at all. Obedience only exists when we're fully in. And I pray that all of us would be fully in, that we'd find our one. We'd find our one and challenge us. Give us that name, Lord God, of someone that we can plant the seed. And maybe we're the one that will lead him to Christ. Maybe we're the one that we're, we're planting the final seed and you have watered it, Holy Spirit. God, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.